Hello, and welcome to Shred the Should podcast. I'm your host, Alex Katz. I'm a coach, speaker, and shredder of shoulds on a mission to help you shred your should shame so you can live a happier and more authentic life. And today, we are joined by a really special guest who is going to talk a little bit about executive functioning. And this is a topic I am so, so excited about. Without telling us what you do, tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Hi. So I'm Sarah Lovell. Thank you so, so much, Alex, for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about shredding shoulds around executive functioning. Um, So I am an executive functioning coach. I'm also a social worker. Um, But outside of my career titles or job titles, um, I am a dog mom to a beautiful pity rescue named Georgia. I'm a New Englander um, through and through. I live in New Hampshire um, and love New England, but I'm also a traveler, adventurer. I like um, getting out, doing things around New England and around the world. Um, I'm a paddleboarder, a hiker. I love being outside. Um, I'm a home cook. I'm gluten-free and vegetarian, um, and cooking is something that I enjoy doing. Um, how else would I describe myself? I would say that I'm a lifelong learner. I'm somebody who's curious, and I think that ties into how I got into coaching. Um, I enjoy like deep, meaningful conversations and talking. Um, so I'm probably a little wordy right now, so just (laughs) jump in if I'm, if I'm going too deep, but, um, I'm a huge self-care advocate. Um, it's something I try to practice for myself. It's something I encourage other people to do and talking about self-care as like the tough stuff, like not just the things that we want to do, but the things that we need to do and like carve out for ourselves. Um, a mental health advocate. I'm strength-based. I like helping people um, look at what's working and building on strengths. Um, and I'm someone who believes that we're all experts in ourselves. Like, you know yourself best is like one of my ways that I approach life and working with meeting people and working with people. Um, and all of that kind of guides the work that I do with clients as an executive functioning coach. Yes. I relate so much to all of that. And very important question. How old is your puppy? She's about a year and a half. Um, Yeah. So her name is Georgia. I rescued her from Georgia. (laughs) She she was originally named Peach. So I kept the the theme. She's my Georgia Peach. (laughs) Um, I love that. I actually, so Spartan, my older dog is also from Georgia. And actually, fun fact, there is a rescue in Massachusetts called Sweet as a Peach Rescue because they pull primarily from Georgia. So you're talking Georgia and Peach. I'm like, you know, I know a new rescue with that. So if you're interested in connecting with them, I I don't know, I'm not trying to plug the rescue, but also I've gotten a lot into the rescue scene since being down here Mm because it's, you know, down, down here, it's a, it's a big issue, but you said something else that I really wanted to talk about, which was that you talk a lot about self-care as being the tough stuff. And that's something that I talk about a lot because I think we so often think of self-care as, you know, something that gets a connotation with being selfish, right? Because it's like, 
I don't know, doing your nails, taking a nap, um, like whatever the thing is that's really like mainstream on social media, but self-care really is doing the tough stuff. And I wanted to do a whole podcast episode on this. And I know this is not our focus today, but I've been talking about it a lot in client sessions lately. And the way that I like to think about it, and I'd love your thoughts on this, is thinking about self-care almost as reparenting yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talk about self-care actually being an act of self-love. And when we look at that a little bit deeper, you know, one of my clients was sick this week. I was also sick this week. And we were talking about if you were sick and you had like a kind, loving parent who's taking care of you while you're sick, what would they have you do? And as a kid, you might be a little annoyed with that. You might be like, you know, I don't want to eat this soup or I don't want to take a nap or I don't like whatever the thing is, but they're asking you to do things that you don't necessarily want to do that are good for you, right? There's a difference. Like I talk a lot about boundary setting and there's a difference between saying no to something that you don't want to do because it's not in your best interest. It's not good for you and not wanting to do something because it's uncomfortable, but good for you, but we're afraid of that discomfort. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think there are so many shoulds around self-care and like that's something that, like you said, like what what we're being told about self-care from Instagram, from social media, from like our own self-talk around it. Um, the way that I view self-care, I love what you talked about, like parenting yourself or like giving yourself the love and care and boundaries that you deserve. Like, and it that's a difficult thing to do. Um, and it's a practice. Like, I think that's the 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 way that I think about self-care is that it's going to look different every day. Um, and it's something that we're constantly practicing. Like you never, like, I don't view self-care as something that you can fully check off and be like, yep, I did it. Like it's something we're constantly doing and evolving. And the way that I talk about it with clients is that self-care is like the foundation for everything that we do during the day, during the week in our lives. And so self-care is the foundation for our executive functioning. And so executive functioning is also like a little bit of a buzzword. So I'll just say that I describe executive functioning as the planning, organizing, prioritizing, starting tasks, finishing tasks, like all of those high level skills and strategies that we use every day. And so we need to practice self-care in order to be able to do those things, but we also need those skills, those executive functioning skills to do our self-care. Um, like if we're having trouble starting or carving out time for self-care, like that's where the executive functioning piece comes in. And so self-care is very complex. Um, it doesn't matter if your self-care is taking a bubble bath or canceling plans, like it requires this higher level mental process to do it. Um, and so if we're already fatigued or burnt out, it's gonna be even harder to do that. Um, so that's why I describe it as a practice, something that we're always doing, something that we're always checking in on every day um, and listening to yourself around it, like not feeling like you should wake up and do a certain morning routine because that's what you're seeing on Instagram or that like, rest should look a certain way like it's whatever is best for you in that moment and in that day you said so many good things there and i'm just laughing about the shoulds around instagram routines because so a really common one that you might hear is how you should make your bed every morning 
That's like the biggest. And I, listen, I have not made my bed since 2010 and whatever people make Instagram posts about how you should make your bed, my friends always send them to me. And this happened this week where they're like, look, you know, but I am a very productive human who has not made my bed since 2010 and that's okay. But I definitely can see in a lot of my clients where they'll see these Instagram routines or these Instagram self-care moments and, and say, wait, I should be doing that. I'm not doing that. What's wrong with me? And, you know, one of my friends was saying the same thing. She's like, I don't make my bed, but I shower, you know, and, and like, that's okay. Like that's her thing. But depending on the headspace you're in, that can kind of feel really counterproductive or toxic. And I get it from the perspective of, you know, if you have trouble with building habits or maybe you're struggling with depression and this is like the task that you can do and it makes you feel accomplished for the day. Like, I'm not trying to knock on it at all. I am just trying to say that it's really important to understand why you're doing what you're doing and doing things that align with what you need. And as you were talking, you said, you know, it's the things that you need or deserve. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but something I find a lot with clients is they don't know what they need and they don't believe that they deserve these things. And I think that so many of, at least the folks that I work with and so many people in general, I think we spend so much of our time on this earth focusing on what we think everybody else needs that we become really dissociated from our own needs. So I'm, I'm going to let you go because you look really excited. So <laughs> tell me tell me what you're thinking here. Yeah, I think it's like such a big question. I'm not even sure where to start diving into it, but I think it's like we're constantly, especially with social media and like the way that we're connecting with others, like people that we know and even people that we don't know, like we're comparing ourselves to other people and then also comparing ourselves to ourselves, right? Like, and looking at, like you had said earlier, like I'm a productive human being. And like, even that, like we all have different definitions of like what is productive. And so like, that's something that I try to help people really break down from like a coaching perspective, like how we define productive or how we define what we need shouldn't I'm gonna say should <laughs> um yeah it's <laughs> we like we look at other people for that and like what you're saying is like how do we pull that from within ourselves or how do we define that for ourselves and I think like productive is such an interesting word that can sometimes be supportive and sometimes be like toxic because if we're defining it based on what we think other people are doing or what we should be doing then it's not gonna be supportive for us. So something that I always reframe for clients is that self-care and rest is productive. Like- Yes, I made a whole post on this. Rest is productive folks, you heard it. Yeah, so like I think that's even like redefining words for ourselves or giving ourselves different words for things. Like I'll just give the example of like, it's not a perfect comparison, but like, a to-do list or a schedule for some people, even that word is like stressful, creates anxiety. Like we've been told that we should be able to use certain systems that maybe don't work for our brains. So like I've worked with clients to be like, okay, let's, let's brainstorm this together. What do you want to call 
things. Like you don't have to call things what they're called. Um, so like, for example, a to-do list might be really anxiety provoking for someone. So I, I have a client who calls it like their creative flow plan and it like gives them choices. Ooh, um, I love that. Yeah. So I think it's like being able to, and I'm kind of going off the rail on no, it's this, perfect. <laughs> but like, I think how we define things for ourselves is a process and a practice. And again, like there's, it's kind of a flowy answer around it, but it's something that takes time to reflect on for ourselves and think about for ourselves. And whether you're doing that in your own work or doing it with a coach or a support or a group, a friend, family, um, but being able to talk through like, what are things that I want to be putting my energy into and what are things that take energy away from me? Um, and finding that, that right balance, which again, looks different every day for everyone. Yeah. I love that. And I think reframes are so important. That's something I'm trying to get everyone to do all the time because they really help shape how you handle stress, how you see the world, how you see your abilities. So I love that. And the piece about constantly comparing yourself to others or yourself, where you think you should be, where you used to be, right? All of that's so, so true. And that's something I'm talking about with clients constantly. And that's, that's why we have this podcast, right? So we can, we can shred the should and the should shame, the shame that comes along with it for sure. And it's interesting, you know, so me using the word productive as you're talking, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because I think I really have developed a strong sense of, well, what does that mean to me and not how I think it should look. And so I, I gave a talk about burnout this week. I'm giving it again tomorrow, actually. And something I talk a lot about, and this, this should be its own, I'm giving myself a should to remember to do this. It's its own podcast episode just on burnout. But like what we think burnout is, is a lot of the amount of hours that we're working, the amount of things that we're doing, what our job is doing to us. But what we don't realize is how much of burnout actually comes from internal factors like should shame, perfectionism, people pleasing, not meeting our needs, not living in alignment, right? Yeah. So I think that the more we can start to identify those things, and I'm always having clients ask, what is it that I need right in this moment? Because we don't, we don't ask ourselves what we need. We don't understand if our needs are even being met. And then saying like, okay, well, what does this mean to you? What does productive look like to you? I don't have like a whole morning routine. I don't have a whole night routine. I mean, your routine is really just what you do. It's just your habits, right? But I'm not like, I'm going to listen to zippity doodah and make my bed and, you know, like set myself up for the day that way. But I do have things that I do that make me feel good and get me in a good headspace. And like, to me, that's productive. Rest is productive. I used to work 80 hour work weeks and can that I considered that to be productivity and that wasn't productivity. That was just busy. Right. And now I do less, but it's intentional. I think that's what I mean by productive is like everything mm -hmm. I do has intention behind it. Yeah. I think that's powerful too. Like the, what's the intention or what am I getting out of it? Like, um, and when you were talking about mindset, like what we say to ourselves, like how perfectionism creeps in, imposter syndrome, like all these, that's something I talk about with people all the time is like what we say to ourselves matters. And again, like as part of that foundation for us to be able to do the things we want or need to do, like mindset, 
what we say to ourselves supports our executive functioning, supports our ability to plan, organize, prioritize, but it can also be a barrier to it if we're focusing on, I should be able to do my to-do list or I should be able to motivate myself to start something or I should be able to use this system that I see other people doing or I should be able to get this done by a certain period of time. Like those create barriers to us starting the task like that anxiety and stress builds up and so that's something i talk about with clients all the time is like how do you like you were saying reframe the way you think about things or how do you catch yourself when you're having those thoughts because our brains are unfortunately wired that it's easier to have the negative thought and so you have to like retrain your brain to catch that thought as it's creeping in and replace it it with something that works for you um so like whether it's something that you're gonna say to support yourself starting or a reminder for yourself um like i always talk with people about like what's the smallest most realistic step um because if we think about the things that we want to do or need to do oftentimes we're our brains go to the end result And so we're thinking about like, what's it gonna be like when it's done? Or what is it gonna be like when I feel like I've been successful at it? And like, that can also be really overwhelming where we're like thinking about the big picture and not sure where to start, like how to break it down, how to like take that first step. So it's like this really complicated, like web tangle of what we're saying to ourselves, how we're supporting ourselves with self-care And then the strategies that we're using, whether they've been given to us or whether we're figuring them out for ourselves to support that process of of starting things. Yeah, 100%. And this is something I work on a lot with clients too. And I'm curious about how you handle it. So like, let's say you have a client who is struggling to take that first step. And there's a lot of fear of failure, right? And that's leading to a lot of procrastination. What would you do or say? How would you help them? Yeah. So as an executive function coach, I am focusing on primarily the systems that people are using, right? So what are things that are helping them keep track of things, break things down? Like what systems are people using? And that's the executive functioning piece of it. But the other side of that is what we're talking about. Like, what are we saying to ourselves? How are we, what are the emotions connected with it? What are these underlying foundations that are either supporting or not supporting our ability to take the first step? And so we definitely look at the overlap between the two things. Like, are are the emotions a barrier to starting? And if they are, how do we reframe that? How do we address that? And that's where I'm very clear with clients on like the boundary between coaching and therapy. Um, Because I think that's also a resource that everyone deserves. Like we deserve to have a mental health support if that's something that we we are looking for. Um, And so I talk with clients about the difference between coaching support and mental health therapy support. Um, but there definitely is a piece of that that I do as a coach. Um, and with, I have a master's in social work, so I do have a background in that counseling piece. So I'm very clear with clients on how it's different. Um, so we talk about it from a coaching perspective of what are the thoughts, what are the feelings, what can we reframe? 
And then we look at what are the systems that you're currently using. Um, and how can we either build on systems that you already like or and or get rid of systems that aren't supporting you. Um, so I think oftentimes people I'm working with, I work with um, college students, um, women who are newly diagnosed with ADHD in their 20s, 30s, 40s, um, or adults with ADHD or other um, other diagnoses that may be impacting their ability to do executive functioning um, tasks. And again, I would say executive functioning is something we all use every single day, so you don't need to have a diagnosis to have a challenge with it or to be stressed about it. Um, but we look at how do we break things down in a way that's gonna work for you. And my whole coaching philosophy is that there is no one size fits all strategy. Because um, if there was, we'd all be doing it and it would be working for all of us. And that's that's not the case. So I collaboratively work with clients. I ask a lot of questions. And because I view everyone as an expert in themselves, we come up with some strategies together that they feel comfortable and confident to try. And we do it in a, again, like a small realistic change process. Because um, I think sometimes people are looking for big sweeping changes and yep. we can do that for a little bit. Like we can have that honeymoon phase push where maybe we change our routine or work on our goals in like this big push, but it's not sustainable. Um, so I talk with people about like the small realistic changes add up over time and make more of a difference. Yes. That is the thing that I'm constantly trying to get people to understand. Like when you, I think I've said this on every single podcast episode so far. So if you are listening to this and you've listened to all of them and you're about to hear me say this again, big props to you. Um, but I'm about to say when you are tired of feeling stuck, when you have felt stuck for a really long time, you just want whatever is going to be the quickest fix. And I get that, but like you're saying, it really doesn't work that way. And people have a really hard time with understanding if you felt a certain way or been operating a certain way for 30, 40 years, it's probably going to take you more than 30, 40 days to kind of rewire how your brain's operating. Is it impossible to notice small changes during that time? No, but people are looking to be quote unquote fixed. And it's not this issue of, am I fixed or am I not? It's about setting up sustainable lifelong processes. Like people think that they just need to do the thing until they're better and they can stop doing the thing. Like even, you know, from a personal training context too, like, you know, or a rehab context, like whatever the thing is, like I had a client who uh, sprained an ankle during a ninja comp and, you know, they did the rehab until the, the ankle was better. And then they're like, Hey, I can stop this now. Right. And then they, they stopped it, which I did not say, right, but sure. Um, they stopped it. And then a couple of weeks later, it's like, oh, well, why does my ankle hurt again? And it's like, well, because we have to keep doing the things that make us feel good and keep us healthy. But yeah, I just, the, the go big or go home stuff sends you home and we underestimate the impact of focusing on one step at a time. You know, we're looking at the top of the staircase and we're tripping on the stairs right in front of us on the way up. Yeah, I think that's like, a common should that I hear in coaching is like, I should 
be able to do this easier or I should be able to do this quicker or I should reach my goal, you know, in this way. And so being able to help people reframe that as, you know, what I hear is excitement around wanting to reach a goal or excitement around and maybe a little bit of anxiety mixed in there, stress mixed in there, but like wanting to make a change, but feeling like there should be like a certain level of ease or pace to it. And so being able to reframe that and giving like the biggest thing that I talk about with clients too, is like giving yourself credit along the way, because if you're waiting to give yourself credit until you've accomplished the goal, it's not going to feel good the whole way to it. Right? Like if your goal is, you know, some of my clients are working, like I'm working with clients on all sorts of different goals. So I can't even think of one that would, that would be a good one to give an example of. But like, if you're, I have a client right now who's working on actually building a website. Um, and so if she's only going to count her success as when the website is launched, then that whole time she's going to be shooting of on everything, right? You say shit on yourself, like she's going to be shitting on herself the whole way. And so I talk with clients about giving themselves credit for each of those steps that they're taking. And as you practice that again, everything is a practice. As you practice giving yourself that credit, it becomes easier and more comfortable and second nature to you. And then it, it feels better to be focusing on the small realistic changes versus feeling like you should have this accomplished by X date. Yeah. The smell smelling, celebrating small wins is, I mean, you can smell them too, I guess, but like, that's something that I really try to get people to do because it makes a huge difference. It's a way to dopamine hack your brain and get you more consistent. And I just feel like, and and I'd love to hear you talk about this a little bit. I think it's so hard for folks when you're so used to just listening to that inner critic and not celebrating your wins, or maybe you, you don't have a strong sense of internal validation and maybe you are not getting what you think you need from an external validation standpoint. And so you know, I will really try to get clients to celebrate small wins. And I've had people say, you know, well, that does, that shouldn't, should not count as a win. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think part of making progress is reframing what you think a win should look like. And I always say there's nothing too small. So, you know, I think client example, just, just from this week, it's like, even just starting to change your thought pattern, like maybe you haven't set up the routine yet but maybe your mindset's not in a place where you can do the routine yet, right? So a client this week just started a new bedtime routine and she's done it for an entire week. And we were trying to get that going a few months ago, but she wasn't in the headspace for it. She wasn't ready. And so I was like, did you celebrate the fact that you just did this all week? And she's like, no, because I should have, you know, I should have been doing it this whole time. It doesn't feel like that big of a win. And I'm like, well, but were you able to do this before? And she's like, well, well, no. And I'm like, right. Cause if it was easy for you, you would have been doing it. So the fact that you're doing it now is what counts, not that you think you should have, or, you know, whatever that means. But the other win was that mentally you're in a place where this is even a possibility now, you know? Yeah. I would add in another win in there is that recognizing when you're not ready or in the right space or in the right energy, however, it's, it's, fits or clicks for you to work on something, giving yourself credit for saying it's okay to not start this right now, or it's okay to start it, realize it's not the right 
task or goal for me to be focusing on right now and stop. Um, I had a client do that. We had started working on a, um, a planning, like planning her day, planning her week, like trying to, trying some different systems to that would work for her. And she realized that it just wasn't the right time for her to try something new. And she came to the meeting and was like, I feel really bad because I don't want to tell you that I couldn't do this. And I was like, one, props to you for coming to this meeting and sharing that that's how you're feeling. And two, you should be celebrating that you noticed that for yourself and didn't push yourself. Um, Because I think there's a time and a place where I talk about like supportive pushes. Like we do sometimes need that supportive push to take the next step. But sometimes we're not ready for the push or the challenge isn't fitting into our lives in that time. And so that's a win to be able to say now's not the right time. I'm not quitting because I think that's also like a a should mindset of like if I Mm -hmm. start, I'm quitting. That's not true. It's setting a self-care boundary for yourself. Like this isn't the right time for me and I'm going to come up with another, another thing to focus on or another plan for myself. Yeah, 100%. I'm glad that you brought that up. I totally agree. And I also feel like that is where a lot of the should shame comes in is like, I should be able to do this. I should have been able to do this all along or yeah, fear of disappointing other people if you're not able to do it. And it's like, I'm helping you with this because this is what you feel like you need and that can change. And if it's not the best thing for you in this moment, that is okay. And I think being able to recognize when we're not ready I talk about it as non-judgmental awareness. Mm. And I think that humans tend to struggle with non-judgmental awareness. We have either we lack the awareness because we're dissociating and we're just going through the motions or we have the awareness and the awareness is attached to feelings of shoulds and shame and judgment. So even just being able to recognize, hey, this is not the time. And like you said, and I'm not going to feel any type of way about it. That's a huge, huge win. Cause otherwise what happens, you recognize it and you go through a spiral, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, that's also a lot of like societal shoulds too, that come in. Like I work with a lot of college students as well. And sometimes students will realize like I'm in college because I thought I should be. Um, like this isn't quite what I'm looking for or this doesn't align with my goals anymore like right goals can change um, and so being able to to name that I think is like huge um, and then being able to recognize like what external pressure am I feeling or what ter- like external shoulds are coming my way because I think like yeah I, I listen to your podcast and so like it's mm-hmm. we talk a lot too about like the the internal shoulds that we're that we're feeling from ourselves or that we're feeling like that we're maybe like absorbing from other people. But I think there's also sometimes really concrete shoulds that come from people in our lives, um, whether it's family or friends or coworkers. Um, I was and, just about to bring that up. And so like that, like we're maybe we're getting these like concrete you should be working on this goal or you should do this thing and so then like navigating that for ourselves I think like that's an equally challenging version of a should yeah I want to talk about that a little bit because 
I see that come up in so many ways. So, you know, we're talking about college students. I worked in academic advising for a long time in higher ed. And, you know, that's something that I saw come up a lot is shoulds around grades, major, what you're getting involved with, career. But then I'm also seeing it come up now. You know, I do, I do have clients that I work specifically on executive functioning skills with as well. And I'm just thinking about one of them who called me last week, really upset because they were saying how, you know, they are working on all this stuff and I'm seeing a lot of improvement, but their parent, one of their parents does not believe in any sort of mental health, anything. So this is somebody who uh, is also seeing a therapist and identifies with having things like depression, struggling with depression or um, ADHD, OCD, executive functioning stuff. And, you know, we can, we've traced back and not, not doing therapy with this person, but we have traced back, you know, where this stems from. And it's funny because we actually grew up uh, in the same town. We went to school together. And so seeing it kind of come back full circle, but this is a person who had very, very high expectations at home and just the amount of pressure that they felt like they were under led to that shutdown and freeze response. And now as an adult, they're seeing that come out in, you know, day-to-day tasks. And so I've seen them make a lot of progress. I think they're doing great. And recently they actually decided to open up about it on Facebook and they were like, Hey, you know, this is something that I struggle with, but I'm still impressed with the fact that I'm able to do these things regardless. And I was like, yes, when, and I guess this person's parents saw it. And this is, this is somebody in their thirties um, and their parents saw it and just like came at them and was like, no, you shouldn't, you know, because they're seeing the parents seeing it as a reflection of them. Right. Like, oh, my kid is struggling with this. What does that say about my parenting? And they're like, no, you should be able to just do these things. Like, why are you paying for somebody to clean your house? You should be able to do it yourself. Or why are you, you know, why does this take you so long? So there are a lot of shoulds. And that's something that we really had to sit with and navigate for them to continue making progress because the default instinct was to be like, oh, well, my, my parent is saying I should be doing things this way. Let me scrap everything that I'm doing and do it the way that they want me to do it so that I can make them happy, but they've tried that. Right. And that isn't working. So I'm curious about what you've seen or what, what tips you have. Yeah, I think that's, well, first I want to say congratulations to that person for being able to feel comfortable to share where, where they're at with their challenges, with their successes, like, and, and I think like talking about things like that, whether it's on social media or even in our social circles, is a way to help other people feel connected and know that they're not alone. Because I feel like that's one thing that a lot of my clients that I work with, one, they're like, I didn't know executive functioning was a thing. I didn't know these supports existed. Um, I didn't know that like the reason that systems might not work for me is because my because of my brain and like how system, like everyone's brain is different, right? Like there's no one way to do anything. But I think as a society, like we've been told and kind of absorbed, like these are the ways that you set goals. These are the ways that you accomplish goals. These are the ways, this is the path that you should take. These are the, you know, resources that you should use. This is how long things should take, right? It should take four years to graduate college. Mm. Um, <laughs> like those are all shoulds that we've internalized. 
And I think, not maybe not all of us, but a lot of people have internalized those shoulds. And so to be able to, one, recognize that, recognize that that exists is huge. Two, to be able to say, that isn't a fit for me. Um, it's good to be able to break out of that. Um, and I think like a third piece of that would be the education piece, but also that self-care boundary piece of like, we, if somebody is comfortable to advocate for themselves and say, well, this is how I'm doing things, or this is what works best for me once they've come to find that for themselves, like how your client is recognizing, to be able to share that and advocate is a, an amazing form of self-care. Um, but also setting boundaries too, if they know that once they've done that advocacy work or that you know education piece, if they're being, if somebody is being met with pushback on like, well, no, you should still being able to set a comfortable boundary um, around that I think is, is so important because not everyone is gonna understand what's best for you. Um, and so if you're constantly getting that should from other people, being able to set a healthy boundary um, is work. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's also important to remember as we're talking about boundaries, that boundaries are not a way to keep people out. They're a way to invite people in because I think there's a lot of fear around boundary setting. People are like, I can't set that boundary. And I will also just say that your comfortability setting a boundary, some of it might be internal, but some of it might also have to do with the person that you're setting the boundary with, right? There's a lot of fear of like, if I set this boundary, this person will never talk to me again, yeah. right? And some of that like might be internal fears and yep. some of that might be like, yeah, this is actually what the situation is. And then you need to decide how much brain space that person is going to take up. You know, it's, that's kind of, if you can't set the boundary with them or you try and they don't respect your boundary, then you kind of have to set some of those internal boundaries of, okay, this person's still here and they're not respecting me and my needs. And I'm not willing to separate from them anymore, but that is kind of, you know, we talked about the difference between boundaries and walls and like boundaries mm -hmm. really do invite people in to say, here's what I need for you to love me the way that I deserve to be loved or for us to have a close relationship. And the wall is kind of where it's like, you've tried that and it's not working and they're not respecting it. And so when they're making comments, you want it to be able to just kind of like bounce off the walls, like throwing darts, you know? That's beautifully put as you were that I, I appreciate your description of that and like clarifying that too. When you were describing that I was picturing a boundary as like a fence between two yards and maybe it has a gate that you can choose when to open it like that's like there might be times when the gate is open there might be times when the gate is closed. Um, and like boundary setting is hard that's like there's that's that is a complex thing that we do. Um, but I think like the. You had asked you like what are some things that that i talk about with clients or like what are some tips around like when we're getting these external shoulds and i think one thing that i talk about with a lot of clients is most people come to coaching because they're wanting some sort of a change or they're recognizing that what they're doing isn't working and i think something that that a lot of cl my clients experience is that they have been trying to use systems that they were told should work for them, whether it's like calendars, planners, to-do lists, morning routines, alarms on the phone, whatever it is, like the, you know, the systems, I think like for a lot of us, like we were, 
going through school, like we were given these systems for 12 years if you went to a public school. Um, and so like we were told that these are the options that we have to be successful adults. And a lot of clients I work with have seen other people use those systems easily, and I'm putting air quotes around that, or um, with like basically like feeling like other people have this manual on how to do things and the manual they got is in another language or doesn't translate for them. And so they're using systems that don't work for them and create even more stress because they're trying to use something that doesn't match for them. Um, and so that's where I talk with people about it's okay and good to not use systems that everybody else is using, or it's okay and good to not be on the same path that other people are on. Like things are not linear necessarily. And so being able to recognize that there's ups and downs and ebbs and flows and being able to provide that like self-talk support to ourselves is a practice as we're going through that. Um, so as an executive function coach, I work with people around what are they saying to themselves around those things and what can we design for them? And so all of my clients have different systems and things that they use. Um, and there's no like one size fits all system, which I think is, is beautiful and important. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think the self-talk people, people hate this, but like, it really comes back to the self-talk. Like I, I'm constantly talking about it and it's like, no, but what else? It's kind of like when I work with nutrition coaching clients and it's like, well, what we need to do is change your relationship with food and we need to probably increase your protein intake. I, it is your blanket statements right now, but that's usually what it is. And it's, people don't want that. They like, no, but I need a meal plan. Give me a meal plan. And I'm like, well, one, legally, I can't do that Two, I'm not going to do that because that doesn't change your relationship with yourself and with food. And like, ultimately that's we got to look at the stress and the boundaries and like all these things. It's not about the meal plan. And it's kind of the same thing here where so much of everything comes down to your self-talk. And I'm constantly teaching people about what my version of it, right? The villain thoughts and the hero thoughts and how can we get you using more hero thoughts and people just kind of roll their eyes at it. And I'm, I did too when I first started, but it works. And like now I think in hero thoughts and I didn't used to, and we have to really challenge ourselves when the shoulds come up when the villain thoughts come up and yeah part of that is the systems piece you know when I if this makes anybody feel better listening says I struggle I've struggled with systems that I think I should be using for a long time until I started saying well what is it that I need what do I need what works for me so when I started my business it was like oh you should use QuickBooks for accounting and I downloaded QuickBooks and I was paying for it and I hated it I like looked at it and my brain was like no and then somebody was like, here's a template for a spreadsheet that you can do on Excel. And I tried it and I was like, no. And then here, you know, here's the thing you can do to track. And it wasn't working. And it was the same thing when I was doing advising. I was such a good advisor, but I struggled with the back end, you know, stuff that you have to put into the system. I don't, my brain didn't like systems, but I, what I realized was my brain didn't like these systems where it's a one size fits all that I now have to plug into. I like systems. I like my systems and my systems don't have to make sense to anybody else's systems. And it was the same thing. Like my first job out of grad school, I was an outreach coordinator and they were like, Hey, here's your system to track. And it's like, I tripled 
the number of schools that we brought our suicide prevention program to within the first year. Like I was good at my job, but it annoyed everyone so much because they would look at my spreadsheet and they couldn't figure out what the hell I was doing. Because again, I'm taking notes and tracking and recording the way that my brain works, but you know what? Like it doesn't matter if you don't understand it, as long as I fix it before I, you know, leave the job so other people can understand it. It doesn't matter because I was really damn good at my job, but we like to put people in boxes and say, this is how it should look for it to be quote unquote, right. But what is that? You know, it's like math class where it's like, show your work. Everybody's work is going to be different. So what does that mean? You know? Yeah. That's such a great example. Cause I think like oftentimes people come into coaching and feel like they should be able to use the systems. And like, to your point, it, it's whatever system is going to work right for you. That's the right system. And I think like, that's one of my pet peeves about social media, like love it, hate it combination around people sharing ideas on social media or systems on social media is that people say like, this is the one size fits all way to plan your day, or this is the one size fits all way to manage your time, or this is the one size fits all way to make a to-do list. And I think it's, that is like a a toxic thing that we have of like this is the one way to do it or this worked for oh this is the my actually my biggest pet peeve when people say this worked for me and so it'll work for you um like i think that and for some people it might like you might hear what other people are doing and be like oh that's cool i'm gonna try it and if it works for you that's awesome but if you try it and it doesn't work for you that's fine like you should give yourself credit for trying something and then be ready to move on to the next thing to try, like how you said, trying different systems for Quicken, Excel, like, and then eventually creating a system that like made the most sense to your brain. And I talked, like you had mentioned, we talked about burnout earlier. Like that's where the burnout can happen if our self-talk is like, this should be working or I should figure this out or it's, it should be easier. Yeah. Or there's an expectation around how many times you should try something before you get it to work. That's mm-hmm. another big one because I'm always talking about process versus abilities. Like if you try something one time and it doesn't work, it's like, well, I'm not meant to do this thing. I sucked. It's, it's over. I'm done. And then like, maybe I get you to try it a second time, you know, or you decide to try it a second time. And it's like, oh, I've already tried it twice. Like that's it. Never again. Do you make it to a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time? And if your expectation is it should only take you one try or two tries and you've had to try like five or six things then there's so much internal shame around that, that that's also leading to burnout, you know? Yeah. I talk with people a lot too, about like checking in with their energy and like, where are you at energy wise? Like, are you in the right space to try this right now? Um, And we talk about like having different buckets of like things, tasks I do when I have low energy or tasks I do when I have high energy or introvert. An introvert energy or extrovert energy or creative energy or like boring admin task energy, or if you love admin tasks, exciting admin tasks energy, but like having these different categories of things when you're thinking about working on something, because maybe it's on your schedule that you should do your emails in the morning, but that's not where your energy is at. And so being able to check in with yourself and say, okay, I am not in a space to try a new system right now, or I'm not in a space to do admin tasks right now. This is where my energy is at. So I'm going to shift my plan and feel good about that. Yep. That is the biggest thing. When people ask me what I do to be quote unquote productive, that's the biggest thing is I 
have stopped trying to force circles into squares, you know, Mm. and I know that that's hard when you work for somebody else and maybe you have meetings at designated times or tasks that need to be done by a certain time. But I think that there are small ways because I'm, I'm just anticipating somebody listening to this and being like, yeah, but like easy for you to say when you work for yourselves and, but we've also done the thing where we've worked for other people. Right. And, and so much of that comes down to what are small ways where you can meet your needs and figure out what it is you need and when throughout the day, even when there's those pieces that are out of your control, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think recognizing too, that sometimes it might be totally outside of your control. Like there might be, whether it's you're working for somebody else. And so you do have a more rigid timeline on something or a more specific, like when I worked in an office, I had a specific meeting time every day that like, that was the team meeting. And so recognizing, okay, that's outside of my control. Where do I have flexibility and control around that? And then really like, focusing energy into that too. Like, cause I think I talk about this with people a lot, like the Goldilocks effect of like structure and flexibility. Like we oftentimes need structure to help us with our day, but we might push up against it. Like we're like, I don't feel like I have control or I don't want to do that task at that time. Um, and so being able to recognize where there's periods of time for us with flexibility, where we can take more ownership and control and make more choices because I think like when we're checking in with ourselves and making choices, it is empowering. And then we feel like we have that right balance and the balance might change every day, right? Or every week or every month or whatever. Um, But kind of checking in with structure and flexibility. Yeah. And that's where that self-care piece comes back in. The piece of it where it's not always going to feel good or it's not always going to be easy. Part of self-care is getting off of autopilot we're on autopilot a lot, you know, so to your point of what's in your control around the pieces that are not within your control, that's, that's always what I'm focusing on. So when I talk about burnout, like I said, a lot of people really want to fixate on the external sources and it's hard to look at yourself. It's hard to look at the internal sources. And one of the things I talk about is how a lot of our coping mechanisms have become social media scrolling because it gives you that dopamine hit. It helps you feel connected. I get we're living in weird times, but when you really look at it and you add it up throughout the day, that's one, that's a way that you're on autopilot. And two, how much of your time is that taking up? And three, what are ways that you could be showing up for yourself otherwise, other than just scrolling? And then four, I'm going to add a four, is that while you're doing that, you are having a lot of internal psychological and physiological reactions to the things that you're seeing. So you want to talk about shoulds and should shame. You're literally sitting there scrolling. Even if you think you're just looking at puppy videos, I know what's happening is that you are seeing things about the news that are putting you in a bad headspace. You're seeing other people and subconsciously comparing where you are in life. Are you engaged? Are you having a baby? How's your body look? Like all these things you are comparing and you're having these reactions or you're seeing people who are living the life you think you should be living. And then it's coming back to the like, well, if I could just get myself off of TikTok, then I could have this life too, but I can't. What's wrong with me? Why am I still on TikTok? And now you're in a spiral and you're stuck and you're not doing anything. Yeah. And I would add to that another piece would be while you're, while people are scrolling, something I've experienced too is like 
feeling like I should be doing something else. Like I I should be doing work. I should be responding to that email. I should be going for a walk. And then like catching myself being in that loop of like, I got on social media or, you know, started this activity to relax or rest or like regroup or get that dopamine hit. And I'm not doing any of those things because I'm preoccupied with like the other things that I feel like I should be doing. So I talk with people all the time too. And it's something I practice of like the mindfulness. Like if you, if you want to scroll Instagram for five minutes, like I think like that, if it's going to be helpful for you and supportive for you, go for it, but like give yourself the permission to do it. Like, and be fully in that, like I'm giving myself five minutes for puppy videos and like, maybe unfollow the accounts that you notice that bubble up like that stress or anxiety. Um, But like, give yourself the permission to do the self care that you want. And I'm not saying social media should be the only self care. Like that's my, a lot, every, I talk with all my clients about like creating a pick list or a menu of self self care options that they can look at. Because if we're trying to pull things from our mind, we're over, like we have so many thoughts going all the time. So if you're like, I have 15 minutes to take a break from work, or I have 15 minutes that I have for myself, we might spend half of that time coming up with the idea of what we want to do. And then we've lost the time to do it. And so like having a written list or a, a, whether it's on paper, on your phone, like this is just one strategy. If you find yourself like wanting to do self-care, but not knowing how to start it. Um, giving yourself those different options. Yeah, a hundred percent. I do that too. I call it a toolbox because it's like, you need different tools for different things. Hammers are great, but hammer's not going to work for every situation and that's okay. And you might try something one time and it doesn't work that one time. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't work and we should just scrap it completely. It means that it didn't work for that specific situation on that specific day. And you can keep it on your list. Yeah, I do buckets with clients. So like for self-care, like they'll be similar to like the different pick lists for when you're coming up with activities to do. Like self-care when I have low energy, self-care when I have high energy, self-care when I wanna be outside, self-care when um, the kids are home and I have to figure out what to do with them, self-care for when I, you know, want to be with other people, self-care when I wanna be alone, like giving yourself all those options so that you can pick what's going to be best for you in that moment. Yeah. Cause the decision fatigue is so high for so many of us. Yeah. Right? So we want to kind of minimize the decision fatigue. So if you have something and you're not, you don't feel like you're pulling from scratch. Cause if it's, if this is not something that's second nature to you, which if you're listening to this, it probably isn't, mm-hmm. then it is going to feel hard to come up with those things in the moment. I'm always like, what tools do we have? You know, let's like stop and think through it. Because I think that we otherwise sometimes feel helpless, you know, like, I don't know what to do. I can't do this on my, on my own. I need my coaching, you know, whatever. And it's like, part of it is also trusting yourself that you do know how to use these tools, that you do have these tools and yeah, writing them down is a great strategy. And also I can't believe I forgot the fifth one, which is what you were saying about the, you know, I should be doing other things. And so I just want to reiterate, I think that's a great point about if you're going to do the thing, like, I'm not saying don't scroll. I scroll too. Like I do like my puppy videos, but giving yourself that permission is really important. And then, yeah, the self-care is like setting a boundary around it. Like I'm going to do this and this is how long I'm going to do this for. Or, you know, a lot of times people will wake up and scroll first thing 
and have a really hard time getting out of bed and now you're late and you're rushing and then it throws you off for the whole rest of your day. So it's just recognizing those things about yourself and saying, what do I want my mornings to look like? And maybe you're not making your bed, that's fine, but maybe mm-hmm. you're also subbing out your scrolling time with practicing some reframes and hero thoughts or maybe like whatever it is that's going to get you set up for the day and it's just being really intentional about that so that when you do have those meetings where you're not ready it's like okay well what can I do to feel more ready you know or what can I do to get my energy where I want to do I used to do so much prep because yeah same thing we'd have these Monday morning meetings where I they were, they were something and I never enjoyed going to them. And I literally had to get myself in the right headspace mm-hmm. for these Monday morning meetings. And I'm like, okay, how do I want to show up to these meetings? Mm-hmm. Who do I want to be for these meetings? Okay, cool. What do I need to do to get myself in that headspace? And if I'm just laying in bed, scrolling TikTok, because I'm thinking about how much I'm dreading this meeting, it's not going to help me feel any more ready for the meeting it's not going to put me in a better headspace you know we tend to we want to avoid the unpleasant tasks and we tend to spend so much time thinking about how much we think the task is going to suck it's kind of like you're if you're going on vacation and you're focusing on the plane ride to vacation and like everyone's coughing and they might have COVID and there's a baby screaming and it's awful so you're just not even going to go versus Mm -hmm. focusing on how you'll feel you know, once you're there. And I think that's what we do a lot. So giving yourself the space to do what it is you need and giving yourself the space to ask what you need, which is really easy to avoid when we are scrolling. Yeah. I talk about it with clients too, as like this dopamine sandwich, like knowing that you have something that maybe is stressful or that you're procrastinating on, or you're feeling anxious about, like knowing that that task is on your radar and creating a dopamine sandwich around it. Like coming up with, before you start, like what's the smallest, most realistic step for me to start? So maybe it's sending an email that you're dreading. And so saying, okay, my plan is going to be that I will, and sometimes opening email is stressful. So maybe it's, I'm gonna write the email in a Word document. Like that's how, that's my starting point. And then sandwiching it with dopamine. So like doing something before the email that's gonna get you in that headspace that you're talking about. Something that's gonna, boost your mood, make you feel confident, like get you ready. So whatever that is for you, listening to music, going for a run around the block, like doing whatever that is for you. It's different for everyone. Doing the email or task that you're feeling stressed about and then doing another dopamine task at the end to basically reward yourself for taking that step Um, and kind of priming our brain where it's like, I'm getting myself psyched up to do it I'm doing the task and then I'm doing something to either continue feeling positive or like rebuild that relaxation or whatever it is that you need afterwards and checking in with yourself along the way. And that's a big one that I work with clients on figuring out what that reward system is. Cause a lot of them don't know. And again, like we need to get comfortable with self-care and our own systems of validation and celebration, because I work a lot with clients on their relationship with food. And for so many of them, that is the only thing that they know for rewarding themselves. Like, oh, you sent that email. And so like, we're going to reward with food because they don't have any other like reward structure. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but like, 
you know, again, it's what is your intention and how is this impacting your life? How much of anything are you doing? And you also, so when you were talking about, you know, scrolling and then giving yourself permission and those shoulds, I thought about this and I totally forgot to mention it, but I see this come up a lot too with the workday. So you're saying, you know, send that email and then reward yourself. And I am a big fan of like, Hey, I just did the thing. I'm going to get up and move around and walk or have a dance party or whatever. And I talk a lot about how a five minute movement break can actually wake you up more than a third cup of coffee says science. And I see a lot of clients struggling to do that. We really have to work on it because there is that internalized should shame and guilt again, saying like, I need to sit here. So if you're listening to this, tell me if this is you uh, at once you listen to this, but it's like, I need to sit here at my computer and I know I'm not being productive because I'm really burnt out and I'm really tired, but I'm going to continue to sit here because I feel like that's what I should be doing, even though I'm not doing anything. And now I'm probably going to scroll TikTok because I'm still at my desk. So that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right? And if we can like push away all that should shame and you just get up and go for a walk and be like, this is not working right now. Let me go clear my head and come back. How much more productive would you be? You yeah. Know? It's, there's a phrase um, that I've heard, move a muscle, change a thought. Mm. Um, and so exactly what you're saying, like if you're feeling mentally stuck, like chances are you're physically stuck. Like you're sitting at the thing feeling stuck. And so if you get up and move, that's an amazing example of like changing your environment, changing your thought process, giving yourself physical space to create mental space to reframe that and then coming back or even working i tell people all the time if you have the ability to work in a different space whether it's a different room a different building um even like i talked about like moving your laptop and sitting on the floor for five minutes like whatever it is whatever space you have being able to change your physical environment can help change how you think about things too it's not going to solve, it's not like a problem solver that moving, moving is not going to change. It's not going to solve everything, but it can be for some people, one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And that's also where we got to get rid of the idea of like, oh, I should be able to just work at this desk like this for, you know, like if whatever works for you, I'm always like, I'm standing right now, later I'll be sitting on the couch. I'll be sitting on the floor. I'll be sitting in the kitchen, like whatever. I'm constantly moving around. And I was thinking about something else that you said about, Oh, doing the task. So small reward task and then small reward. Again, another example of where we have to get rid of those shoulds. Um, in the online coaching space, something I hear a lot of or in the self-development world is, have you ever heard of eat the frog? Yes. Yeah. Right. And so the idea behind that is that you do the hardest task of the day first. Mm-hmm. And so I am not somebody that likes eating the frog. I, it doesn't work for me, but I remember when I got really into personal development, I'm like, oh, this is the thing that they say that you should do. You should do the hardest task of the day first. And so then I end up sitting there in freeze mode doing nothing because Mm -hmm. my brain was not ready to eat the frog. I needed to eat like all sorts of other things first before the frog. And once I really embraced that, that's yeah. where my quote unquote productivity really started to shine, you know? Yeah, that's exactly why I talk with people about like that intuitive planning and like asking yourself again, a practice, but like, where am I at right now? If you have the flexibility in your day or like where you can say, where is my energy? What am I feeling connected to? Starting with that and building momentum. Um, for some people eating the frog might work and like, that's great. 
Um, but if that's the only thing that we're hearing, or that's the only thing that we're feeling like we that we should do, um, then it creates that stress and like negative mindset that we're talking about. So like, again, it's a practice to check in with yourself um, and say, what is the what is it that I need right now? Or what is it that's the best fit for me right now? Um, and recognizing that it changes all the time. Um, like each day won't look the same. Like I don't start my day every day the same way because I wake up and feel different. Um, and so like I give myself permission to do that and say it's okay um, if I don't check my emails first thing because that's not where I was at this morning. Like that's okay. <laughs> yes, that with literally everything. Like even, you know, workouts, your body's not going to feel the same day to day, right? You're not going to have the same nutritional needs day to day. You're not going to be in the same headspace and really checking in with yourself and saying, what is going on? I have coaches in my program talk about cycle syncing a lot because we, especially the women who are listening to this, like a lot of times we don't understand our own cycle. We don't understand our own hormones. And then we've been taught that we need to be able to override constantly. We live in a, a world of overriding and there's only so long that you can override for. That doesn't come without consequences. All of us who have been like, I am the most busy and productive human ever. And then been like, oh my gosh, why am I suddenly sick all the time? Like there is a link there. We're not meant to be overriding. But I think, again, there's so much shame as to like, oh, well, I was able to do this yesterday. Why can't I do this today? Or I don't feel up to something. And it's like, give yourself that permission. You are not the same day to day. And that's part of what is so beautiful about you, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I think that's that comparing ourselves to ourselves um, challenge. And like, it's again, I'm a broken record. I'm like, it's always a practice. Like it's something that that we do every day or every week or every period of time to kind of check in with ourselves and see where we're at and then give ourselves credit and giving ourselves credit will also look different. Like sometimes it might be giving ourselves more credit along the way. And which I think is a, you know, as we've talked about a really good practice and that might feel really supportive one day and the next day it might not feel the same. And so again, just being mindful that it's a practice. It takes time to, to keep giving yourself credit. Yeah. hundred percent. So I'm curious, I always ask this question for folks who come on here. I want to know what is the biggest should that you've ever shred? Ooh, that is a good one. Um, the biggest should I've ever shred. I think this is like a, a general should that I am constantly working on shredding is that I should know how to do things um, like in my business. Um, like that I, I should be able to figure things out on my own. Um, and so that's something that I'm constantly being mindful of. And again, it's a practice, um, but being more comfortable asking for help or being more comfortable reaching out to work with, like I work with a business coach um, or Googling things that I feel like I should be able to figure out how to use this like payment system, right? Like that I don't need, I shouldn't, I, there's no reason that I should know how to do all of these things, but like this just internal dialogue of, I should know how to run my business. Um, and I don't have a business background. Like I have a social work background. <laughs> um, so like, I'm very confident in the coaching that I do with clients and the work that I do with clients and building this business um, I joked with my business coach, um, like I didn't realize I was building a business until I was like, oh, wow, like this is something that I'm, I ended up leaving my 
um, my full-time job and being fully self-employed in January of this year. Um, and so being able to talk that through of like, it takes time to learn these things and I shouldn't feel the need. Like I shouldn't feel like I should know everything. Um, so being able to, to get support from somebody, um, from communities and being able to be comfortable asking for help, I think has been like the biggest should that I'm constantly working on. Yeah. And that's a great reframe. And one that we always have to be working on is that asking for help is a sign of strength. Right. And we don't know what we don't know. We're not meant to know everything. And I mean, yeah, since becoming a coach, I've invested in coaches too. And it's like, we can't expect people to understand why they need us, you know, and how we can help if we struggle with understanding that we also need help from other people. And that's where community comes in. Also shout out to your business coach. Who's one of my really good friends and an awesome business coach, Kristen Mann, who also has a podcast. I just wanted to shout her out in here because I think that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure she, she'd be one of the first people to tell you it's like, she, you know, she's a designer. She's a graphic designer too. Right. And like, I don't, design is not my thing. Like, that's just, it's, I'm like, show me something that I can color inside the lines. Don't ask me to create it. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly asking her for help because that's not in my wheelhouse. And that frees up brain space for me to do the things that are really aligned with what I'm good at, which is the coaching and same for you, you know? Yeah. That's such a good way of putting it that like asking for help, one, it's a strength and two, it frees up brain space. Like I had not thought about it in terms of like freeing up brain space, but it definitely is like when you have all of those things swirling in your head, um, to be able to ask somebody to process it with you or ask somebody to problem solve it with you or ask somebody to support you on it or just asking somebody to listen, um, like that creates space. Um, definitely for me, that's, that is something that, that I've experienced. And yes, Kristen Mann is amazing. (laughs) Um, yeah, she, I was on her, her podcast, um, earlier in the year, it might've even been last year. And that's, we joked about how I didn't even realize that I was building a business, like that Mm. I like accidentally got into this as my like full-time thing. And I think that was also part, like a should that I maybe didn't realize until I'm talking about it right now. Like I thought a business should look a certain way. And so I didn't fit that mold and like, I didn't have that educational background. And so I was like, oh no, I'm not right now. It's still a side hustle or it's still like maybe one day it'll be something that's like a business. But even until recently, I didn't call what I was doing like a business because I didn't think it fit that. Um, so again, like just being mindful of like, that's a should that I've been shredding around, like mm. what should my business look like? What should I feel like about my business and and allowing myself to like feel those things? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's constantly evolving. I've been doing this for full time for two years and I, it's, it's evolving every week, you know, and I think that's okay. That's totally yeah, fine. And yeah. Yeah. And you're going to feel differently about your business and I'm going to feel about my business and and that's okay. So before we wrap up, I just want to know what final piece of advice or should shredding that you would like to share with those listening? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, So I would say, I think like the takeaway that I would want people to have from this discussion and from the work that I do as an executive function coach 
is that there's no one right way to work towards your goals. Um, and so I think that's been something that we've talked about a lot in terms of like comparing ourselves to others, comparing ourselves to ourselves, looking at systems that we feel like we should be able to use. Um, so like there's no, there's no one way to work towards your goals. Um, and I think like another takeaway that I would want people to have is that self-care and mindset, which I know is, is what you talk about all the time and what I talk about all the time, self-care and mindset are the foundation for us to be able to do the things that we want to do and need to do. Um, and so prioritizing that, um, I think if it's not already something that is part of a practice, um, that's something that I would encourage people to do. I wouldn't say they should, but I would encourage people to think about what does that look like for them um, and how can that support them? Yes, I love it. That's a perfect place for us to say thank you so much for you being here and for everyone listening. And yeah, you have some, I'm not going to call it homework, but some things to think about for this week, right? And this is what I do with my clients too is what does that look like for you? And I think that's a perfect question for us to leave off with that I would love for folks to consider. So thank you so much. And if people want to find you, I will link your Instagram in the description of this podcast episode and we'll see everyone next time. 